Emma Bovary is lying on her deathbed. A few hours ago, she poisoned herself with arsenic. She expected her death would be swift, but instead the arsenic is slowly and murderously dragging her down to the grave. Flaubert writes, She soon began vomiting blood. Her lips became drawn. Her limbs were convulsed, her whole body covered with brown spots. Unfortunately, she is being treated by a chemist, whom she is friends with, named Homais. Homais is a doctor, if we might call him that, more concerned with his own personal fame and glory than with actually treating patients. He uses Madame Bovary's downward death spiral as an opportunity to show off his knowledge, his knowledge of the latest medical studies. He uses her downward death spiral as a chance to try out innovative medical treatments on her. When he finds out that Emma has taken arsenic and is on the verge of dying, he responds, Very well. We must make an analysis. The narrator then adds, For Homé knew that in cases of poisoning, an analysis had to be made. Fortunately, a few moments later, a real doctor arrives, Dr. La Riviere. Flaubert is careful to depict La Riviere as everything which the buffoonish opportunistic and petty Homais is not. Flaubert describes La Riviere thus. He belonged to that great school of surgery, founded by Bichat, to that generation, now lost, of philosophical doctors who, loving their art with a devoted passion, exercised it with enthusiasm and wisdom. Everyone in his hospital trembled when he was angry and his students so revered him that they tried, as soon as they themselves were able to practice, to imitate him as much as possible, so that in all the towns throughout the country they were found wearing the long-wadded merino overcoat and black frock coat of Le Riviere, whose unbuttoned cuffs slightly covered his fleshy hands, handsome hands that were never gloved, as if to be the readier to plunge into misery disdaining honors, titles, and academies, hospitable and generous, like a father to the poor, practicing virtue without believing in it. He would almost have been taken for a saint had not the keen quality of his mind made him feared as a devil. His glance, more piercing than a scalpel, penetrated straight into your soul, cutting through every excuse and facade to the underlying lie. And so he went his way, filled with that quiet majesty that comes out of the consciousness of a great talent, of a fortune, and of forty years of hard work in an irreproachable private life. The two men meet, one fraudulent, the other irreproachable, before the deathbed of Madame Bovary. Homais views this encounter as a chance to impress the dignified Le Riviere and to ingratiate himself with him. Homé tries to show off his medical know-how before Le Riviere, using fancy terms like siccity in the pharynx, epigastrium, and superpurgation. Homé clears his throat and begins to explain to Le Riviere how expertly and innovatively he has been treating Madame Bovary. He states, I wish, doctor, to make an analysis, and primo, I delicately introduced a tube. At this point, Le Riviere brusquely cuts him off and says, You would have done better to put your fingers down her throat.
who are listening to The Shrift, Life Tip 35, Judges 13. A similar story happened to me about five years ago when I was enjoying a Shabbat dinner geared toward expats in Beersheba, Israel. I was sitting at a table with medical students from Ben-Gurion University, which has a partnership with the medical school at Columbia University. I don't recall the facts precisely, but I think I asked them if and to what extent they learned about nutrition in medical school. Soon, a debate had ensued over a heated question. Butter or margarine? Butter or margarine? Which was healthier? The conversation went something like this. Me. Butter has been around for thousands of years. It requires just one ingredient, milk. Then. Yes, but there are no studies showing that butter is healthier than margarine. But there are studies which might indicate that margarine is the healthier of the two fats. Me. Who cares about studies? Margarine was invented in a lab about 100 years ago. It's synthetic. It doesn't taste as good as butter. It can't be healthier. In fact, it's probably terrible for you. Then, how can you know that? Have you done studies on it? Me. I don't need to do studies. I just know. Then. In medical school, we learn to only recommend evidence-based medicine. There need to be studies demonstrating the, effect, the efficacy of a treatment before we can recommend it. Me. You can't have studies for everything, though, can you? Then. Until it's proven in a study, we can't tell a patient to take it just based on our own intuition. This debate could have gone on long into the evening. Fortunately, one of the medical students chimed in with a joke. What about olive oil? Can we at least agree on that? Everybody laughed. Soon the, dis the topic of discussion changed and everyone back to eating their challah, which, sadly, was probably baked with margarine. I don't need a study to inform me that butter is healthier than margarine. I just know and trust that it is. Why wasn't intuition enough for the medical students? In fact, why did they seem to be lacking intuition altogether? They can be forgiven for their dogmatically scientific approach. I am not a medical historian. I don't even have my PhD yet, but from what I've gathered, medicine was largely quackery until at least the 19th century, and even then. I am currently reading letters written by Mozart's father, Leopold. In these letters, he describes the many illnesses Mozart had as a child. Fortunately, little Mozart always recovered from these horrific sicknesses. Smallpox, rheumatic fever, hepatitis, and typhoid fever, to name a few. I am quite convinced that, for all of these illnesses, Mozart recovered because his immune system bailed him out. It had nothing to do with the bizarre medical concoctions his doctors were shoving down his throat. We now know today that placing a warm cloth soaked in red wine on your face does not cure smallpox, nor does inhaling rhubarb powder ward off typhoid fever.
The problem was that back then, doctors and patients often committed the post hoc logical fallacy. B occurred after A, therefore B was caused by A. Returning for a moment to Madame Bovary, throughout the novel, Emma's husband Charles treats patients through bloodletting. This was a medical procedure in which blood was slowly bled from the patient's bodies to restore balance to their humors of blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Sometimes, after the bloodletting, the patient got better, which led to the conclusion that the bloodletting had been effective. Sometimes, the bloodletting didn't work, but this cast no suspicion on the bloodletting itself. It merely led to the thought that perhaps more blood should have been let, or that a different humor than blood should have been more aggressively treated. Two quotes from Benjamin Franklin wisely sum up this tragicomic state of affairs. One, God cures and the doctor takes the fees. And two, the best doctors know the worthlessness of most medicines. Franklin was writing in the 18th century, so he knew firsthand what he was talking about. As it seems to me, Modern medicine is partially a reaction to this pre-scientific world. Medicine vowed that never again would it commit the post-hoc logical fallacy of B followed A, therefore A caused B. Instead, causation would have to be proved through vigorous testing before a treatment could be recommended. Butter would need to be proven to be healthier than margarine before a doctor could dare opine on it. Otherwise, he would edge himself dangerously close to quack or witch doctor. The grave downside to this approach is that not every medical and nutritional question can be proved through a scientific study. We know that smoking causes cancer, but what about eating Domino's pizza every day for a year? There's no study on that. What about microwaving a water bottle and drinking from it? Also, no study eating the rotisserie chicken, which costs $5, instead of the organic one, which costs $15. Does it matter? For many in the medical profession today, to recommend the organic chicken is one short step away from quackery, advice based on hearsay, specious conclusions, unscientific results. In fact, these doctors are just committing a new logical fallacy in lieu of the old post hoc one. This is the fallacy of Argumentum ad ignorantium. I don't know the answer, therefore there is no answer. In the Haftarah for the Parsha of Nassau, we read from chapter 13 from the Book of Judges. The chapter tells of a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan, whose wife could not get pregnant. One day, an angel of God appeared to the woman and informed her that she would soon bear a son and that this son would save Israel from the Philistines. Though the woman did not know it at the time, her son was to be Samson, Shimshon, who famously lost his great strength when his hair was cut off. The angel tells the woman that Samson will be a Nazrite. Nazrites were particularly ascetic Hebrews who vowed not to drink wine, come near a dead body, or cut their hair for a chosen period of time at least 30 days, often a few years, and sometimes for life. Three times in this short chapter, 
the angel of God appears to Samson's mother. The angel warns her that, while she is pregnant, she must not drink any wine or any other alcohol. The angel's reasoning is that, because the fetus will grow up to be Samson, he must begin his abstinence from alcohol in the womb. Three times the angel relays this warning not to drink alcohol. Three times. I would surmise that the angel does not just want Samson's mother not to drink alcohol because Samson will grow up to be a heroic Nazarite. In fact, the angel, by thrice repeating this warning, wants all women to refrain from alcohol when pregnant. But the language of scientific study in the ancient world would have sounded just as superstitious then as hunch and speculation come across to scientists today. The Torah was written during an era long before modern medicine. Back then, it had not yet been proven that alcohol endangers the health of the fetus. In fact, science did not definitively know this until 1977. In 1977, for the first time in American history, and after decades of denial, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration suggested that pregnant women consume a maximum of two alcoholic drinks per day. I would suggest that the Torah knew that pregnant women should not drink alcohol without really knowing it. In that era, causation had not been as refined and sophisticated a concept as it is today. And this may have been a very good thing for human health. It gave doctors the freedom, flexibility, and creativity to advise based on gut feeling and common sense rather than on research. We did not need a 1977 government advisory bulletin to know that pregnant mothers shouldn't drink alcohol. It's simply intuitive that alcohol is a poison and that a tiny fetus should probably not be drenched in Cabernet Sauvignon. Ironically, in order to get people to follow sound medical advice in the ancient world, doctors, or angels, had to rely on superstition, myth, and anything unscientific because that was what people believed. Nevertheless, sometimes the ancient advice was actually superior to that which we get from doctors today. It could be superior, I think, because it did not need to be censored by certainty and could rely instead on intuition. Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher of reason, acknowledged that even reason had severe limits. In the Critique of Pure Reason, Kant said that he had to deny knowledge in order to make room for faith. We might consider applying Kant's maxim to our own health, particularly in the area of nutrition. We can rarely know with absolute certainty whether a particular food causes cancer, headaches, depression, or insomnia. Our knowledge in this area will always be limited. Instead, we ought to apply our trust and our faith to what is good for us. Even though we don't know which foods are good for us and which are bad, we do know. Dr. Le Riviere was a rare doctor, blessed with common sense and convinced of his own instincts. He saw what Homais, enamored with scientific progress, could not see, that the best treatment for Emma Bovary would be to stick his fingers down her throat so she'd vomit up the arsenic. Logical fallies are often, at their core, just excuses. Argument from ignorance stems from a deep wish to rationalize our actions. 
if we look at ourselves penetratingly enough, we will see that we are all like the angels who came to visit Samson's mother. We know that butter is fundamentally natural and healthy, whereas margarine is corrosive. One need only read the ingredients or compare the price tags. We know that the sun, which feels so pleasant on our skin and which our bodies so often crave, is not there to ruin our lives by giving us skin cancer, but instead to bequeath vitamin D to our blood and an attractive tan to our skin. We know that we probably should not sleep with our cell phones next to our brains at night, even if there was no conclusive study showing that the waves emitted from our phones might be unwelcome visitors into our bodies. And that icing on the birthday cake? Please, please, don't eat that. The list goes on and on. As technology multiplies, we must increasingly face decisions about everyday health, which humans have never needed to grapple with before, and which scientific studies cannot opine upon before the damage is already done or not done. Our impression of medicine in this pre-scientific world is sinister indeed. But as the story of Samson the fetus shows, sometimes ancient medicine had long ago discovered that which now we are just beginning to humble ourselves to accept. Thousands of years later, medical students still take the Hippocratic Oath upon becoming doctors. In the Hippocratic Oath, it states that, quote, I will use those dietary regimens which will benefit my patients according to my greatest ability and judgment, and I will do no harm or injustice to them." Unquote. These are the words of a person, in this case Hippocrates, who always chooses butter over margarine without proof, but instead with judgment.
Thank you. 